Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. What up, Fightful fam, and welcome to 1-2 Punch. Player 1, Shaquille Madjui. Player 2, Sticky Nick Baldwin of The Score. How's it going, my man? I mean, I was doing good until you called me Sticky Nick Baldwin. I don't know where that comes from, but will, uh, never the... Yeah, sorry. Well, let me tell you where it comes from. Uh, okay. You know, I said this week the kids are taking over, and you and all your genius said we should have some old juice boxes. So this is why you and I are about to get Sticky. So you're just saying apple juice is sticky. Apple juice is sticky. I, I, fair enough, fair enough. Nevertheless, I appreciate you having me on. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad. I'm happy to be here. Yes, man. It's great to reunite. Uh, for those unfamiliar, Nick and I have been, uh, I'd say for like, what, f- several years now, uh, we've been yeah. sort of kind of crossing paths, working for same companies, working for different companies, but always staying in touch. Now, let's get right to it. Uh, welcome, guys. This is One Two Punch. If you're a fan of the show, thank you as always for tuning in. If this is your first time, let me give you a quick rundown of how it works. One-two punch. It's news talk on a win-lose-draw system. What that means is we're going to highlight the week's biggest winners and losers before doing a preview for UFC Vegas 14. And winners and losers just mean, you know, whose stock went up this week, whose stock went down. And without further ado, I will hit this animated intro. There we go for all our non-audio podcast listeners. I hope you enjoyed that. Um, a quick note, please, if you guys want to help the channel grow, a little subscribe button, a little notification button, and a like. Uh, these are just like little things you can do that go such a long way to helping the channel grow. I can't stress it enough. Uh, we really appreciate that support. If you guys want to engage with us, hit us up in the chat. We will do our best to get to all the questions, all the comments. We love it when you guys engage. This is more than just a two-man show. And if you're feeling extra generous, a little super chat donation really warms the heart on a cold, rainy day in Vancouver. Okay, Nick, let's just jump right into it. Um, Biggest winner of the week. Now, I don't think this is really the biggest winner of the week because I like to describe Dustin Poy versus Conor McGregor as a nonstop roller coaster. Every time you think you're at the end, there's another loop. And so we get the news earlier this week that, uh, according from MMA Fighting, that 
Although not officially announced by the UFC, Conor McGregor versus Dustin Poirier 2 is a done deal. January 23rd, UFC 257. Just hours later, Dana White tells ESPN's Brett Okamoto that it is, in fact, not a done deal. It's expected to happen, but it's not assured. At this point, is it a foregone conclusion that it is going to happen? I don't think anything is a foregone conclusion in the sport until, you know, the, the, the you know, pen to paper, they're in the octagon, they're actually fighting. I mean, even when this is a done deal, Conor McGregor, I'm sure somehow can find his way out of the fight if he wants to, or injuries happen. Like, nothing is a foregone conclusion, especially when you have a fight between Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier, you know, the, the biggest star in the sport who has a history of not fighting that often. Um, so yeah, as I said, I'm not going to believe that they're actually going to fight until they're fighting. Um, but would I suspect this fight to eventually get finalized for January 23rd, the UFC 257 in Las Vegas? Yeah, I, I do think this fight is going to happen. Um, Conor McGregor has seemed on board more or less from the beginning. Dustin Poirier would be a fool not to want to fight Conor McGregor. He, of course, it seemed like there was a bit of delays on his side, just trying to get a better deal, but it appears he has signed the dollar line. Now we're just waiting for Connor. That can be a big hurdle to get over. I doubt it will be in this case, but you just never know when it comes to the notorious. Yeah, that is truly the way it goes. Um, note I want to touch on, according to MMA Fighting's report, uh, Damon Martin says that, especially in light of uh, UFC 256 not losing only Gilbert Burns versus Kamar Usman, but also Amanda Nunes versus Megan Anderson, that Conor McGregor is still pushing to have that fight happen December 12th, UFC 256. Dana White has basically rejected anything and everything that Conor McGregor has pitched uh, from the moment that uh, a return you know, from mid-2020 beyond has been discussed. Do you think the UFC at this point would consider pushing that fight to December, or do you think they're just really firm on January and there's no way they're going to give Connor what he wants? Based on the way Dana White is and the UFC as a whole, I doubt we see that fight get pushed uh, back, or not pushed back, but I guess um, happening happening earlier at UFC 256. Um, they already have a title fight on there, Peter Yan versus Aljamain Sterling. Obviously, with the cancellation of Nunes and Anderson, that is what prompted Connor to um, consider fighting a month earlier, but I know something that ESPN's Ariel Helwani said is that uh, the UFC probably won't consider it just because they already do have a title fight on there. They don't want to have a non-title fight with McGregor in the main event with the title fight below it. I don't understand that reasoning. I don't think Sterling and Yan would have a problem with it, but fair enough. And apparently, I think the bigger issue is that they don't want to give away the pay-per-view points um, more than they have to. So I suspect if this fight does happen, it'll be in January. I don't think at the, end of the day, at the end of the day, McGregor has a problem with that. It just kind of feels like Dana White is trying to be the guy that like dictates everything. Connor's trying to be the guy that dictates everything. And now they're kind of like playing a game of cat and mouse. Who can be that guy that actually decides when this happens, if it's for a belt, where it happens. Um, I think on Dana's side, it's really just a matter of they don't want to give McGregor any leverage they want him to have as as little leverage as possible because when Conor McGregor has leverage um that's dangerous that is dangerous for the UFC so, so I think it, it it's an interesting sorry to cut you off there it's an interesting point you make because you know I've talked to some of uh my more experienced peers in the industry we've had on the show Shaheen Al-Shadi comes to mind and every time I mention the fact that it seems to me that ever since the ESPN deal where the UFC 
reportedly has like a guaranteed amount of money that they make from each ESPN event and then additional money if they cross certain benchmarks in terms of pay-per-view sales. Uh, that's stripped a lot of control away from fighters being able to leverage their star power because the UFC always knows what their bottom line is. And I've said that I think at this point, Conor McGregor has, has he will always have more leverage than any other UFC fighters, but that leverage is almost non-existent at this point. Like he has nothing going for him, right? Not, I mean, I still feel like he does. I mean, as you said, I mean, you recognize he has more leverage even still than everybody. So I guess you are right. I mean, he has as little leverage as he's probably ever had mm-hmm. since he became a UFC champion. He hasn't fought since January um, with the pandemic. I'm sure that really can help. Um, yeah, just, it, it, it's a weird time. It, it's a weird, you know, relationship that's going on right now between the UFC and Conor McGregor. I know they don't have to be friends, Dana and Conor, but they usually have been. I mean, Conor has been generally good to work with and vice versa. And now it seems like they're just disagreeing on everything. They don't want to do this date, but they want to do this date. They don't want to do this location, blah, 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 blah. And it's just a really weird dynamic, but I guess that's what happens when you have, you know, a guy like Dana White, a lot of money, a lot of, you know, uh, a lot of power and Conor McGregor, the biggest star in the sport. That's, you know, things like these, things like this are bound to happen, I think. Yeah, this is starting to sound less and less like a win. Let's just say the win is it seems like this fight's going to happen. Uh, and every <laughs> The win is you, for the fans. The win is for the fans. Uh, it, it, it's an interesting point you make about Dana White that's always struck me as peculiar. Now, you know, when Dana White says the media don't know what they're talking about, I think he paints it as more of a blanket statement and sort of puts on an aggressive tone. But when he has clarified that statement, he says, you know, the media is welcome to have their feelings about matchmaking, news, et cetera, et cetera. But when it comes to the interworkings of our business, they truly know nothing. And I'll I'll concede to a degree, which is no one knows the UFC's business better than the UFC. And they have been profitable enough and successful enough to, you know, uh, be awarded that stance. The one thing about Dana White that has always kind of struck me as peculiar is his hard-headedness when it comes to very particular things. Uh, The one that always stands out is, you know, not wanting Israel Adesanya to spice up his intros. Like, why? How are you going to tell fighters to go and market themselves and then sort of strip any uh, attempt for individuality the super fights is another weird one. For the longest time in that GSP Anderson Silva era, he was very firmly against the idea of super fights. And now we're looking at possibly Israel Adesanya versus Jan Blahovich, the latter of whom hasn't even defended his title yet. Right? So that's just always something about Dana that's kind of struck me as odd. I'm sure hard-headedness has served him well in his uh, line of work, but I feel like there may be times where he cares a little bit too much about things that he really doesn't need to care that much about. And it's not even just about caring about certain things like the walkouts. These are, this is something that would improve the sport, improve his promotion. I mean, if, if Izzy can really show off his personality, you would think there's a better chance of, of, of him becoming a real star, a real superstar. I mean, a walkout isn't everything. I realize that, but it, it helps. It all adds up. And so for Dana to just brush it off and have, you know, pick your walk-up music and you can't walk up to this, you can't do this. It, 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 it's mind-blowing to me because these are things that would help the UFC ultimately grow inch by inch. Now, as we start to move on from this topic, I want to go very quickly to the live chat. Joseph Boza chimes in. Uh, they have to be firm. They have Yon versus Sterling for the Bantamweight Championship on that card. 
I, I guess for me, the question is, what is going on with Happy? Because if your issue is that Dana likes to... Again, another thing is kind of weird about sometimes. Uh, you need a title headlining these pay-per-views. I feel like uh, the only thing stopping Connor Dustin from being an interim or undisputed lightweight title fight is whatever's happening with Habib. So we don't really know where he's at right now. I, I think with that situation, it, it really comes down to this. The UFC and Dana White, they don't want Khabib to retire. They don't want Khabib Nurmagomedov to just go away and that's it for his MMA career. They're trying to lure him back. And so to me, it, it seems like that would be easier to do with him still the lightweight champion. If you take away that belt, take away his lightweight championship, it just feels like Khabib would kind of see that as, a, okay, they don't need me and I don't really want to continue. I'm, I'm done. I'm retired. That's it. But if they keep him as a lightweight champion for a couple more months, maybe if they continue to talk to him, they can lure him back out of retirement and to fight again. Dana, you know, right away said, hey, I just talked to Khabib and he was emotional when he announced his retirement. His dad passed away. It was his first win and all that. He, he's really been, Dana has been really moving forward with this, you know, uh, notion or this idea that Khabib is going to come back. And by keeping the lightweight title around his waist for a little bit longer, you know, they're just increasing that chance that Khabib does come back. Uh, now, as we move on to our next win, uh, I don't remember the last time I've had a juice box, particularly apple juice, except for the one I had earlier today because I bought like a six. I'm, I'm sure, like within a, a year or two, I'm just gonna guess. Like... Yes, yes, probably knowing me, I'm gonna switch the one shot just so everyone can see me puncture this whole. I don't know if that came out the way it should. There we go. I have a really Probably weird not. thing. I'll have to try and describe this for uh, primarily audio-only listeners. But ever since I was a kid, I have this weird thing where I don't like the straw to be facing this way. I don't like the straw to be facing in the direction closest to the hole. I like it across the length. Of but the top but the real spot. question is, you know, the part that bends, like the the whatever. Yeah. Do you put that into the box or no? Do you keep that out? Uh, no, I keep that out. Oh, are the people who put it all the way in? I do. I always have. Oh, but then... I I shouldn't say I do now. You're screwing yourself, though. Like, what happens if you want to mix it up? What happens if... What happens if someone else is holding the juice box for you and they just need to, like, twist it for you? Look at that. What if you're sharing... What if you and a girl are sharing the juice box? Who's sharing my juice box? (laughs) True. It's COVID season, Shaq. Fair enough. Come on. Fair enough. (laughs) All right. This is... This is terrific. Thank you for this throwback beverage. And I don't know if the guys, can, if your your listeners or your watchers can see me right now, but I I didn't get a big or I didn't get a small juice box. I got a big juice box, oh. and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna pour it into a glass like a like a gentleman. Like a gentleman. <laughs> All right. This is how the this is how the kids become adult shots. They drink they apple juice out of wine glasses. That's how you, I used to pretend like I was an adult when I was a kid. It's because it looks like it could be some sort of liquor. Well, I'm like still whiskey, pretending. Yeah. Okay, let's move on. Uh, I want to touch on... Let's go to Bellator real quick. Bellator 252. This is something you and I both sort of earmarked. Uh, Let's be honest. Their stretch with CBS Sports Network has been kind of a dud. Uh, You know, to no real fault of their own. The fights have just kind of sucked. Bellator 252 on Thursday finally got a win. That was a stellar card from top to bottom. You know, uh, you, you can just look at the fact that, like, Aaron Pico, Karen Melendez were on the undercard of this. The three-card main card, Logan Storley versus the guy whose name I cannot pronounce. Can you? 
Amosov. That's his last name. Very nicely done. As well as two featherweight Grand Prix, Grand Prix quarterfinal bouts headlined by uh, Pitbull Patricio Freire absolutely demolishing Pedro Carvalho, who looked totally out of his depth in that fight. How big of a deal was it for Bellator to get one good event under their belt, finally? They needed this. They really, really needed this. Um, it seems like every Bellator card recently, especially since the CBS deal came into place, which it's just, a, you know, bad luck for Bellator. It's not a matter of they, the cards weren't good. I mean, Musasi Lima should have been an outstanding fight. That ended up being a, a, a bit of a snoozer, to be quite frank. Um, this was the, the best Bellator card in a long time, probably since the pandemic, maybe even beyond that. Um, Pitbull looked fantastic. I think Emmanuel Sanchez, that is, I mean, not really a breakthrough win because he's already was established himself as a contender, but this really was a big statement over Daniel Beichel. And then Pitbull, I mean, as I just said, um, two fights later, everybody was saying, oh, Sanchez might win this whole whole thing. And then Pitbull kind of comes out and says, no, I'm still the man at 145. I'm the guy to beat with his destruction of Pedro, as you said. Um, as you said, Pico, Kerry Melendez, uh, UFC vet Devin Powell on the undercard, Lucas Brennan, 20-year-old Dinom, 4-0 now, or 5-0 in the MMA. Um, yeah, there's a lot to like on this card on paper, and I think the card just really, really delivered. Um, and I think that's crucial. It, it's too bad that this was like the fifth card on C CBS. Mm -hmm. If this was the first card on CBS, then I think Bellator really gained some momentum. Yeah. So maybe they can sort of, you know, start that, kick off that momentum from this card, but... Uh, the past few haven't been great, but uh, yeah, this one was needed and it should be considered a big success. Uh, now, let me say, I, in, in, in theory, I like the idea of Thursday cards, something in the middle of the week, break it up, something kind of do in the evening. Um, in practice, it's just another weeknight I have to work, so that is never fun. <laughs> but not to say it's not fun, but I just, you know, you used to presume that I had Thursday nights off, no longer the case. I will say... The idea of like a three-fight main card struck me as odd when it was first presented, but I really, really enjoy two hours tops of bite-sized MMA, get some good fights in on a weekday. I think it's such a refreshing change from the slog that is like seven to it's like seven, eight-hour-long UFC events. Um, how are you liking the pacing of Bellator since they've moved to CBS Sports Network? It's good. I think the biggest change for me is it's an earlier start time. Usually they were 10 p.m. Eastern. Now it's like 7 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. maybe at the latest. So I, I like that a lot. The 3 p.m. or not the 3 p.m. but the three fight main card is kind of strange to me. It just it feels like it it allows them to put more filler between each fight and it probably just goes on as long. So if they wanted to wanted to do four fight main cards, I think that would probably make a bit more sense. Um, but overall, I, I like it. I, I, I like the Thursday night. That just means my Friday nights are generally free, which really doesn't matter in, in this COVID era, but uh, still sort of nice, I guess. Um, I, I do feel bad. I mean, for me, for me as an individual, I like it, but I do feel bad for the Bellator fans in Europe because that means it's like really early Friday morning. They're working on Friday. And uh, so they can't watch or they sacrifice their sleep. So I, I think for the Europe fans, it's kind of not a great situation, but um, I guess that's something Bellator will have to figure out and see what, you know, matters most to them. Yeah, I would, you know, with absolutely no information to go off of, my gut would tell me that's probably more uh, a CBS 
decision than a Bellator decision because they had been putting so much resources into growing their European following. And I think in some areas, they probably were the number one promotion uh, compared to the UFC, if not a name value, just in the fact that they were running events in places like Milan so frequently in London. They, they, They were really beating the UFC to the punch when it came to the European market. So shame there. Do you know if they're doing any sort of tape delay for the European market or is it just live? I have no idea. Um, I know. I mean, you could go back and watch. So that's. That, I mean, you can always yeah. tape it or watch a replay. I'm sure on zone. But it's not, not the same. Insane. I mean, if you have to watch, if you want to watch it live, you basically have to get up at 3 a.m. on a work day. Like that's just not going to happen for most people. Isn't that interesting, right? Uh, like, if for some reason I can't watch a fight live, let's say you know, prior to me having to cover events every Saturday night, I used to do most of my work related to pre-fight and post-fight and i would have weekends off and so i'd be out partying with friends or hanging out or whatever and i would have my blinders on i would not go on facebook i would not go on twitter i'm like i am not going to spoil these cards for myself i'm going to get home and watch them and although you know it's still fun because the mystery is still there isn't it weird that even if you don't know the results just knowing that it's already happened and you're watching a replay it kind of kills that energy in the air even if you're watching it alone right i think the biggest thing for me and i don't watch ever since i i got i joined the score i have barely watched i i don't think i've missed the ufc since you know in the past year basically and so i haven't done this for a while but before that when i would go back and and miss the occasional ufc and watch it the next day or whatever it always felt weird because i knew i could skip ahead if a fight was boring i could do like the 30 second jump ahead and then oftentimes I would miss a big knockout or something. And it, it, it just, it's a weird feeling knowing that this happened 24 hours ago or how, you know, however, however long. And you have that ability to skip through a fight. And often I end up watching just a couple of the fights. So I, I do like watching the fights live because usually I just would skip through the rest <laughs> uh, if I wasn't. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, let's go to Joseph real quickly in the live chat. He says, crazy that Koger said that Pitbull is the best 145er in the world. Not just in Bellator. I think Pitbull needs to go to UFC to prove it, but whatever. I think, but whatever is the right thing. Like you got to remember, Scott Coker is the promoter. It is his job to make his athletes seem like the biggest deal in the sport. Additionally, you got to think for people like Pitbull, and for a long time, you know, Michael Chandler is in the final stretch of his career, and so he wants to go to UFC, make the money, test himself. If Pitbull is in a place where he can be the predominant guy of the promotion because he's not just the top featherweight in bellator he is arguably their number one fighter right now yeah uh you need to treat him as such and you also can't expect him to jump ship when he's making good money and getting a lot more face value versus risking being lost in the shuffle of the you know machine that is the ufc so i I think that's a promoter's job i think it's healthy uh you want for the sake of the sport you want to get to a place like we were with Pride and Strike Force, where the fighters in promotions outside of the UFC are good enough that you can at least humor these questions and not have it be a sure thing, right? Because there was a time post Strike Force where if you weren't in the UFC, you were not shit. But Bellator has been doing a good job of building their roster, their welterweights and their lightweights and their featherweights, especially. And I think it's good that we can at least have these questions because I would argue that Pitbull would be a top five featherweight in the UFC well, without a doubt. Well, I mean, and objectively, Coker might not even be wrong. 
like, of course, he's going to going to say that Pitbull's the best and that Lima's the best Walt Wade and that the light heavyweight division is better than the UFC's. That's promoter speak. I totally understand it. He should be saying those things. But if we think about it, Pitbull versus Alexander Volkanovsky, to me, that's a competitive fight. I don't know that Volkanovsky wins that fight. Like, I would probably favor him to edge out Pitbull on paper, but it's not like that would be a a, a one-sided beatdown, in my opinion. I think Pitbull's absolutely top five, maybe even the best. He he really could be. Well, let you know if you wanna if you wanna have some way, any tangible way. I know it's MMA math doesn't work, but if you want some sort of way of measuring Pitbull, let's see what Michael Chandler does in the UFC. Because if he goes out there and proves to be a top five lightweight. Well, Pitbull beat him. Pitbull's the champ champ, so we'll see what happens. Uh, Caleb Hawkeye in the chat says, what up? Caleb, what up? Let us know. How do you think Volkanovski versus Pitbull would go? And Antoine chimes in, do you see Felder possibly making a run at the belt if he is victorious this weekend? Personally, I'd like to see a fight versus him and Michael Chandler. Uh, Antoine will save Felder talk for the UFC Vegas 14 preview because that main event is basically the only exciting thing happening this Saturday. Uh, But regarding him and Chandler... From the beginning, I thought that was the perfect fight for Michael Chandler's UFC debut. What do you think about Paul Felder? Yeah, yeah, I, I think it was that a would perfect a measuring good... stick. I think I I agree because Paul Felder, that he's number seven in the lightweight division, and that's about where I would put Michael Chandler without seeing him fight in the UFC yet. That's about where I would say, okay, he probably doesn't beat like the Tony Ferguson's and Dustin Poirier's, but he could beat Dan Hooker and the Paul Felders of the lightweight lightweight division or at least be competitive um so yeah i i think that would have been, would have been an outstanding matchup I, I think that would have been a lot of fun um and it still could happen like we don't know when chandler's gonna um debut if Felder gets a quick win you know you never know but uh yeah i i think something like that would have made a lot of sense yeah and last thing on the chandler felder note until we run back to felder at the end of the show um i always say you don't want to put you know these uh these champions from other organizations into a top four or five fight you don't want to give them a habib or a justin gaethje right away because there is a bit of a learning curve or an adjustment when you make the jump up to ufc and examples i like to use are uh eddie alvarez was a huge one and there's someone else who's skipping my mind right now but my point is that you know eddie comes loses to donald cerrone and then ascends up to the championship. Sometimes you need to give these guys a minute to adjust to what UFC-level competition is and determine, okay, what do I need to make this successful? Yeah. And we've seen Maybe it on Marlon more than one occasion. Marlon, Marlon Rice, Rice, that is exactly what I was thinking debut. Yeah. yeah. Even Same Justin Gaethje, you can argue that. Justin Gaethje, I don't know why I'm missing all these, but those are exactly the three guys I always go to. Yeah. Gaethje almost lost to Johnson, Marais lost to a Sun Sao, and Eddie Alvarez lost to Cerrone. Look at the comebacks they all made. Each of each of them captured a world title in the UFC. Uh, Marais didn't, but he jumped. Marais, sorry, Marais could have in the first round. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Caleb chimes in. I think Volk would be pitbull, but it would be competitive. I think that's a fair take. And uh, Joseph, we're gonna come back to your comment on Felder. Okay, uh, we're heading into the last fifteen minutes. We haven't even gone to the losers yet. So I'm just gonna say I think Lover to share is a huge winner this week. Not just for the impressive performance he put up against Thiago Santos, but the fact that it was so interesting that you have both Jan Blachowicz and Dana White now considering giving Teixeira the light heavyweight title shot. I think that's huge. I think that, I think that is what should happen. I don't think a super fight is 
it's interesting from Izzy's point of view that we could see Izzy as the champ champ, but considering the fact that Jan hasn't defended the title, I don't really want to see it right now. Plus, Glover deserves it. The dude's in his 40s. He's had this remarkable comeback. He's on the best run of his entire UFC career. Give him the fucking title shot. (laughs) Yeah, no, I agree. I, I, I echo everything you said, Glover, just because he's getting up there. He won't be around for much longer, and he just deserves it. This isn't doing the old man, as he calls himself, a favor. This is he deserves a title shot, so give it to him. Okay, and on that note, let's move on to the losers because it segues perfectly. Uh, we're going to start with yours, Tiago Santos. But first, just a reminder, guys, if you don't mind hitting that subscribe button, tapping that notification bell, leaving a like on this video, all those little acts go such a long way to helping the channel out. Thank you guys for being so active in the chat today. Keep it up. We love talking with you guys. A super t- chat donation. Never hurts either, uh, but that is that. Let's get to the loser. Why Transform your home in one weekend with paint from Menards. Get a paint that combines durability and gorgeous color. Dutch Boys DuraClean Interior Paint and Primer in One offers Stay Clean technology, making your home stay beautiful and clean longer. And with Dutch Boys Easy Opening Smooth Pouring Container, transforming your home has never been easier. Save big money on Dutch Boy paints and head into Menards to get your paint project started today why, why do you think tiago santos is i want you to look at the camera nick i'm gonna put the one shot on you and you're gonna look at tiago santos and tell him why he's a loser i can't do that because then i'll just die like that'll be the end of my life tiago santos is gonna come to winnipeg and find me and that'll be the end of me um i mean i, I this isn't to say he's like the biggest loser coming out of a ufc card ever but I do think his stock goes down. I, I don't think he lost so much of what he had, but he was potentially fighting for a title shot. You know, Glover could get that shot now with, you know, Izzy Blovich. We're not sure if that'll happen. Um, Santos could have been in that position. He was favored to be in that position. Um, he's coming off. He was coming off a 491-day layoff or 490-day layoff. Um, knee injuries in the John Jones fight, which he almost won. He, he won a scorecard against John Jones, the one of the best fighters of all time. And now he finds himself in a weird position. He's actually, it, it sounds like he's agreed to fight Alexander Rakic in March. So a bit of a quick turnaround for, for Maheta. But it's just a, a tough situation because I feel in a way we really saw Santos get exposed on the ground. I know Glover is an extremely good grappler. So there's no shame in getting submitted by him. But Glover got on top and into full mountain and, and sunk in those those submission attempts real quick. I don't think he would do that against everybody. I think Chago Santos does have some pretty, pretty blatant holes in his grappling game. And that's something he'll have to fix if he wants to ever fight for the title again. So I think Santos's stock goes down. It, it, it does go down, but I do feel at the end of the day, Glover gains more than Santos lost. Like I think Glover is really just the, the guy that really shined on uh, Saturday night. So. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. And I, I do think, there are a couple things uh, Tiago Santos can lean on, no pun intended, one being the long layoff, and the other being it was a competitive fight. Clearly, there's something he's got to shore up on the grappling defense section, but um, I think the nice thing about the way light heavyweight shape is shaping up right now is, Glover aside, there are no clear contenders. You got uh, Dominic Reyes fighting Yuri Prochaska. If Yuri wins, you could put him in a title shot, but it's like his, what, second UFC fight? Um... Yeah. Dominic Reyes coming off losses to John Jones and Jan Blahovich. Alexander Ratchich is there, but not quite there. 
and you know depending on how uh devin clark versus An- if devin clark beats anthony smith i think it kind of devalues ratchet's win over anthony smith a little bit um yeah. so i think the light heavyweight is in this interesting position where you have a clear top five but none of them had put together good winning streaks glover aside so i think any one of them could find themselves in the title picture in 2022 if they can get a couple wins under their belt. Yep, I agree. I think with the matchup that is planned between Dominic Reyes and uh, Prochaska, and now the Santos-Rakic matchup, I mean, if Prochaska and Rakic both win, then, I mean, they're they're the guys at, at 205 that haven't gotten title shots. And then if Santos and Reyes bounce back, then... But I think those two fights in particular will, will, will really sort of cement mm-hmm. the, the path for the 205-pound division heading into next year. Okay, um... One SS, we will come back to your comment about PFL shortly. Antoine says he's not excited for the super fight. He'd rather have Jan defend his title. Many viable contenders like Glover. It's the same thing Izzy said. You know, Andreas Hale sort of argued that there are no clear title challengers for Izzy left at middleweight. I don't quite agree. I think if you're looking at it as like, you know, who's on a big winning streak? Yes, it's a little problematic, but there are still guys in the top five. Jack Hermanson is one who sticks out, who does deserve a title shot, especially with a win uh, in his next fight. Darren Till is someone who would be really exciting to see Izzy match up with. There may be no clear, clear contenders, but there are still interesting fights that Izzy hasn't had at middleweight. And for sure, the same goes for light heavyweight. Um, and then 1SS chimes in, while Rumble made it seem like Teixeira has no chin anymore. Uh, and Antoine also chimes in, the Rumble fight is always wide, Dow Glover. I mean, you know, it's Anthony Rumble Johnson, guys. What are you going to do? And Glover, you know, not to say he doesn't have a chin, but he does get stumbled and he does get knocked. But he wears damage. Like, you see it in his body. He just doesn't go out for the most part. Well, and that's why it's kind of confusing. Like, I don't know whether to consider Glover's chin bad or good because he does get dropped with shots that shouldn't really drop you. I mean, to me... I'm no fighter, so I probably shouldn't be saying that. But they don't look like they should, you, you know, flatten a, a man. They, yeah, drop me. Um, but then he does recover. He recovers pretty quickly and, and and well. So does he have a good chin? I mean, I guess so. Like he he's winning his fights and he's not getting knocked out. So. And as we wrap up on the losers end, let me make. Oh, and Joseph Boza chimes in. It came out today. Ratchet versus Santos is happening on March 6th because he does a better job of our jobs than we do, Nick. I already mentioned that. What did you? you? Okay, well, I'm still going to give Joseph the credit. So thank well, you. I, I will too, but I, I, I won't let you not give me credit. One well. <laughs> oh, <fine>. uh, <laughs> SS says, if Anthony Johnson comes back, does he come back as a heavyweight? I think light heavyweight is the sweet spot for him, but I mean, I haven't seen Anthony's physique in a while. He was pretty yoked out for a while, so... I feel like Rumble at heavyweight is kind of just him being lazy. Like I don't think 205 is, is an issue if he gets rid of a bit of muscle. Whatever he has to do. I think 205 is very possible. He also doesn't and need I just that think much it, muscle in MMA. It won't help. Well, him. that's just it. I think at heavyweight, it, he, his cardio wouldn't be as good. He'd be a bit slower. I think, as you said, 205 is a sweet spot. I, I definitely agree. Okay, and last thing on the down, so we got to get to UFC Vegas 14. Uh, I'm going to say UFC 256. They lost Kamar Usman versus Gilbert Burns. All they had going for them was uh, Amanda Nunes versus Megan Anderson. Al- Peter Jan versus Aljamain Sterling was added, but then Nunes versus Anderson got dropped. And listen, it's not to say that we haven't had worse pay-per-views this year or that those guys shouldn't be headlining a card. 
It's just to say that if you look at the UFC's track record, they really like to close the year out with a really big pay-per-view. Typically has multiple title fights on it. If I'm not mistaken, the uh, title fight for last year, the pay-per-view last year, was headlined by Kamar Usman versus Colby Covington, correct? Yeah, and then Holloway and Volkanovski and... Nunes, I think, was Nunes on there too. And Drenemy, yeah. Right, so it's not that it's the the pay per view is bunk by pay per view standards, although it's not great if you look at it outside of the title fights. It just pales in comparison to what the UFC usually puts on for their end of the year cards. So if I'm looking at uh, UFC 256 on on Wiki, which is kind of messy, uh, I see Peter Yan versus Aljamain Sterling. The next biggest fights that catch my eye right now. Are this is already outdated because as Leon Edwards is Hamzat Shemaev on there, but um, I see Marvin Vittori versus Jacare Souza, Cub Swanson right. versus Daniel Pineda, Junior DeSantos versus Surreal Gain, and Mackenzie Dern's on there. Chase Hooper's they've got like an A side to most of the fights, but not a particularly compelling B side. You know what I mean? Yeah, like it's a really weak pay per view especially when you compare it to what the UFC usually puts on at the end of the year. Part of me is happy that Sterling and Yan will get the main event pay-per-view shine because I think that's an outstanding fight and it deserves that. But yeah, I mean, would we want to have another title fight on there? Would we want to have Kamaru Usman Gilbert Burns headlining? Absolutely. Do we want some bigger matchups? Definitely. But as I said, I think we have seen worse pay-per-views. Um, yeah, th- this is not the best offering, but it's not the worst either. Okay, and let's move on to the UFC Vegas 14 preview. Uh, I know I just did one of these, but since we're transitioning between segments, one last reminder, guys, hit that subscribe button, notification bell, like button, super chat, regular chat. You guys are super active today. It's a little bit of an MMA circus in there, so I like seeing the activity. Well, shout out to someone yeah, actually mentioned shout, shout out to my old podcast. someone on here i don't remember who it was but someone actually we, we brought you up in one of the other shows and someone specifically remembered the mma circus so you got wow. some, you got some diehards out there i didn't think there was anybody out there but no they, they, they are that. man they are and as we okay let's see what people are talking about regarding ufc vegas 14 i know we had some i think antoine mentioned something um Actually, let's, uh, let's we'll, we'll do something else first just because it's kind of unrelated here. One SSS says, do you think PFL should allow other fighters to fight like uh, Cage Warrior or Titan FC? Do you think PFL should allow other fighters to fight? I'm not sure what you mean by that. If you mean should they let their guys fight outside of their promotion until they get back on track, yes, it's very problematic that for a long time they weren't letting their guys uh, fight elsewhere during the pandemic. Although Kayla Harrison has an Invicta FC fight, Nick. So do you know what the deal is? Have they sort of laxed on that or was Kayla an exception? So it sounds like they're letting fighters compete in other organizations like Titan or Invicta or Cage Wars, but UFC and Bellator are the exception. So you're not going to have Lance Palmer all of a sudden sign a multi-fight deal with the UFC and say goodbye to PFL. That's just not going to happen. So it's good that they're doing this. And I'm happy because I know there have been some fighters pretty vocal about not being able to fight. And it really just, it's not a good situation. They, they shut down their whole season pretty early into the pandemic. A, a good call at the time. But as UFC comes back, as Bellator has come back, as pro sports, hockey, football, baseball, basketball have all come back and PFL still kind of just doing nothing, I feel really bad for the fighters. And so 
I'm happy that they're sort of loosening up a bit on, on their rule there. But uh, yeah, it, it's kind of one of those situations where if you're not putting on shows it, it, and if, if someone wants to leave, you really should let them. I, I understand why you won't or why you wouldn't as a company. That's not a good business practice, but you know, morally and maybe even legally, I, I really think we should see more PFL fighters competing in 2020. Completely agree. And we got some comments here that will tie into our UFC Vegas 14 preview. So let's start here. Does Paul Felder retire on Saturday night? He told MMA Junkie, I think, that uh, if he comes in here on five days notice, five-round main event, and beats Rafael Dos Anjos, former world champion, that, you know, it, it seems like a nice way for him to ride into the sunset. Paul Felder is sort of tongue-in-cheek, joked about being retired for a while now. His analyst duties have really picked up. He's tremendous at it. And uh, I say tongue-in-cheek because it's not like Conor McGregor where he's, you know, cons- constantly tried to use the word retirement as leverage or to stay relevant. It's not like these washed guys who want one more outing. Paul Felder you know, has made it clear that his career is coming to an end, but he's never really put the stamp on it. Like he said, he's still interested if the fights are compelling. Uh, He said if he wins, he's more likely to retire than if he loses because he just doesn't really want to go out like that. Do you think Paul Felder retires on Saturday? I don't. I wouldn't be shocked just because he did seem heading in that direction after the Dan Hooker fight. But I think that was more just his emotions getting to him because he said fairly soon after that fight, no, I'm not done. And I'm probably like, I'm not going to retire. So I think people overall are putting too much into that. I, I know Felder has been kind of, I saw a headline. I didn't actually read the article, but I saw something the other day that said Felder says retirement option is 50-50 after the RDA fight. So I wouldn't be shocked, but I'm going to say no because I think, at number seven in the lightweight division, and if he beats RDA, he's still a top contender. He is still one of the best lightweights in the UFC in the deepest division in the sport. Paul Felder is an elite fighter. And so at 36, he's getting up there. I know he has a family. So that's what make me, makes me feel, okay, this might be it. But competitively, he still has a lot left. And so for that reason, I'm going to lean towards no. I think we see Felder at least a couple more times. And... uh Antoine Rowe, do you see Paul Felder possibly making a run at the belt if he's victorious this weekend? This is why I think Paul Felder should retire if he beats RDA uh, on Saturday. I, you know, we had Sean Sheehan on here and he, of Severe MMA, and he said that we we're talking about Anderson Silva. I know Anderson Silva is a bit of a different situation. He's much older. He's been a world champion. He's had a really rough stretch. But Sean said for him, when you're at the point, and this is obviously under the stipulation that you are good enough to be a title threat, once you're at the point where winning the title no longer seems like a likely outcome, probably time to hang it up, because what are you doing this for? And when I hear that, and when you hear Paul say that he's already 50-50 on the idea of retirement, I think he has it in his head to some degree that I'm probably not going to be the world champion. And that's not to say that he can't be because that division is so stacked. And, and in, in this era of MMA, I, we're starting to get back to dominant champions. But for the most part, 
these guys in the top five in a lot of the divisions are good enough that any one of them could be champion on the right night. So it's not to say that Paul Felder can't be world champion. It's just to say that he probably won't be. And he's got such a great gig here as an analyst, and he's already toying with the idea of retirement. I think the better call is beat RDA, go out over a former world champion, and ride off into the sunset. Why prolong this? I think Paul's a little too smart for that. I think his brains and his brawn are sort of, and his fighting spirit are kind of at odds here. That's fair. I mean, if, if Paul Felder wants to retire, I'm not going to say, oh, that was the wrong call. If he says in the cage on Saturday after beating RDA or after losing to RDA, I'm done. This is it. He puts his gloves down. I'm not going to go on Twitter and say, hey, Paul messed up. That was the wrong call. I'm going to say, hey, if he wants to retire, that's what he would. Sh- that's what he should do. I think Dana White says all- that all the time, and I think he's more or less right about that. If you're thinking about retirement, you probably should. And I'm certainly not going to, you know, question your decision. I- I- I'm going to assume it was well thought out, and that's the right call for your life and your career. But and-, and to your point about him not becoming a champion or not being able to, I agree. I don't think Paul Felder ever wins the lightweight title. I don't think he beats Dustin Poirier. I don't think he beats Tony Ferguson, Justin Gaethje. Definitely not Khabib if he comes back. I don't think he would even beat Conor McGregor. But I disagree with the point about you should retire if you've gotten to a point where you're probably not going to win the belt because very few people win the UFC championship. That is a very lucrative, you know, title. That's a lucrative um, award, you know, award to win. Not everybody does it. Very few people accomplish that. It's the pinnacle of, of mixed martial arts. Not everybody can get there. I think Paul Felder could continue on for two or three more years fighting in the top five or top 10, picking up, you know, paychecks and then doing his commentary as well. I think that would be fine. I don't think just because he doesn't have what it takes to win the belt means he should consider or, or, or even follow through with his plan of hanging the gloves up. I don't, I don't believe that to be true at all. Uh, you're going to be mad at me. Sticky Nikki B. Uh, are you good to go a few extra minutes? Cause the live chat Absolutely. is blowing up today. Okay. Of course. My, my set a record here with your star studded appearance. Um, Joseph Boza has mentioned a few times throughout the chat that uh, Paul Felder got screwed in that day. Slow down on the apple juice there, Nick. I'm going to have to go to the bathroom pretty soon if we go too long. Um, That Paul got screwed in that Dan Hooker fight and he'd be riding a big win streak if it wasn't for it. Now, you know, most guys have sort of suspect decisions on their record. It's hard for me to sympathize too much with the Dan Hooker decision. I scored it for Paul Felder. A lot of people did. Uh, but you have to remember right before that he was awarded a split decision against Edson Barboza than most people thought he lost. So like, I get it, but I'm not saying it's karma or anything like that, but if you're gonna, you know, bang the drum that he got screwed by Dan in the Dan Hooker fight, don't forget that Edson Barboza likely should have won their fight very shortly before that. Um, and Al Hefe chimes in for the first time, says, I think Felder stops RDA because RDA at 150 is completely drained. We saw that in the Eddie Alvarez fight. He didn't look good against Tony either. Uh, I agree. RDA has had problematic weight cuts at lightweight. I will say he looked really good on the weigh-ins today. And he spoke to Brian Campbell of Morning Combat. And our, he told Brian Campbell, Al Hefe, so that may sort of speak to what your concerns are there, that... Uh, back in his lightweight days, RDA used to cut from 194 down to 155. 
This time around, uh, he's been much more on point and you know consistent with his diet and exercise, and he's walking around between 172 and 174, so 50% less of a weight cut than he used to make, for, from 40 pounds down to 20 pounds. So I, I think we saw that reflected in his weigh-in today, and I'm curious to see how that looks in practice. Uh, do you think RDA could see a new jolt of life in him at lightweight? Potentially, but I'm I'm hesitant just overall because just because a fighter can move down a division or move up a division, that doesn't mean I apologize if you can hear some background noise, but maybe no, you can't. All good. Um, to can so uh, on my point, I fact of the matter is fighters keep getting older. People keep getting older. RDA just because he's now lighter than he was, that doesn't mean he's 29 years old again. He is still 36, and he's going to be 37, and then you know from there. So, I mean, we see Diego Sanchez move down in weight. How did featherweight work out for him? It didn't. We see BJ Penn move down, or we see, you know, Josie Alda move down, and he's lost a couple. Moving around weight, I don't think, does a whole lot for you, especially in the latter half of your career. So could we see RDA find some new life just because the stylistic matchups are better at lightweight? For sure. He's not going to be going up against, you know, bigger guys like Colby Covington and Michael Chiesa and Kamaru Usman, especially. Um, so overall, I think RDA, if he can safely and healthily make the 155-pound limit, lightweight's the better option for him. But I also don't think all of a sudden he's going to go from a middling contender at welterweight to a championship material fighter at lightweight. Mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, as you continue to get older, whether you're fighting at 145, 155, 185, whatever, you just don't improve all of a sudden. You're, you're, you continue to get older, so. I agree. I agree. Uh, MMA is a young man's game for the most part, but Andre Arlovsky, Glover Teixeira, even Jan Blachowicz to a degree are some people who would beg to differ on that front. Uh, Last question for you, Nick, as we wrap up here. Paul Felder versus RDA. Is this a better main event than what we were stuck with seven days ago? It is. I I think so. I think stylistically, RDA Makashevs could have been interesting. The grappling exchanges would have been kind of fun. But Makashev was a big favorite. I think he probably would have just gotten RDA to the ground, held him there, done whatever, and we would have seen not the most entertaining fight. It would have been a big win for Makashev, get you know, a former champion on his resume, you know, a, a, a sort of breakthrough performance for Izan, perhaps. But in terms of my excitement, personally, I love this Felder RDA main event. Um, I think the fact that Felder stepping up on five days notice I, actually makes it kind of more interesting because on a, if they both had normal fight camps, I would favor Felder by quite a bit. Now it's kind of a, a coin toss for me. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what RDA can do at lightweight. I'm, I'm looking forward to how, how does Felder look on five days notice. Um, so yeah, I, I love this main event. I think we're going to see somewhat of a stand-up war and uh, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And the stakes are higher. I mean, Paul Felder is ranked number seven. Islam Makashev is number 12. Felder's a way bigger name. So um, on paper and off paper, I think this this fight is definitely better than RDA Makachev. Agreed. It's, it's it kind of echo. I mean, obviously those stakes were way higher, but it kind of echoes when uh, you know Max Holloway was going to step in on short notice to fight Habib. It was just crazy excitement, and you know usually when you get these short notice replacements, it's a severe downgrade. To see it be uh, an upgrade is really interesting. Yeah. I will say, I hope we see Islam Makachev get a big fight soon because I mean. Yes. You know, shout out! He this, he 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 handedly beat uh, our former pull no punches co-host Kajan Johnson, my good friend. 
And we've been waiting to see him fight a top-ranked guy and see, you know, how far can he go? Is he the next Habib? And I don't know when we're going to see that now. Uh, it's kind of funny, though, what this whole pandemic has done. Uh, Mr. Ian Heinish, who has been scheduled multiple times this year to fight Brendan Allen, who will instead be fighting Sean Strickland on Saturday. I think Ian has had to pull out numerous times, definitely on more than one occasion, either because he or someone in his camp has been afflicted with the word that I will not say out of fear of being suppressed. Um, and now Ian Heinish is tabbed to fight Kelvin Gastelum. Like, imagine having to pull out of a fight multiple times and be like, you know what? Forget this other prospect that we wanted you. Here's a former title contender. <laughs> Go have fun. Yeah. What a big upgrade no, for mean, him. Ian Heinish is going back to the first segment, one of the biggest winners of the week. I mean, yeah. I mean, Brendan Allen, that's actually kind of a dangerous matchup for Heinish. Might not have won. Definitely not as big of a name as Gossam. And now he has a chance to really crack into the top five, top ten of middleweight. So, yeah. Big, big win this week for Ian Heinish. And he didn't even step into the cage. And last one here. Uh, last comment. Sorry if we missed anything in the chat today. You guys have been explosive, and I love it. Thank you so much for being so active today, guys. Uh, El Jefe says, loves the content. Only person you need is Lucas Grandshire. Don't worry. Lucas is coming. I haven't talked to him about it yet, but I was telling Nick, um, you know, I, I've been leaning on all these bigger names in the MMA media space who've been, you know, uh, so generous and, and kind with their time and their energy in this show, guys. Like, Jaheen Al-Shadi and Andreas Hale and Aaron Bronson or James Lynch, all of them. Uh, Sean Ross Sapp, who a program note will be back next week. He's going to be doing this show. I'll be doing the Survivor Series post show with him that Sunday. Uh, but it's coming. You know, Nick's young, but he's, he's got an old heart in this MMA game. But the goal is without a doubt to get some of these younger, uh, lesser, you know, like some of the media guys who are putting in hard work and girls who are putting in hard work but aren't necessarily getting as much attention, Lucas Grandshire is definitely one of those guys. Uh, it's funny, Luke, Lucas, I'm pretty sure, when he was first getting into the space, he DM'd me, and I got on Skype with him, and I helped him learn how to use OBS. So it's time for him to return the favor and come make me some money on One Two Punch. <laughs> I was going to say, you're leaning on guys like me, especially, uh, at, at the early stage of the Yes, yeah, so I mean, listen, I'm telling you, we got MMA Circus fans lurking around yeah. in these chats so it's there so See, Luke, I'm, I'm, lucas I'm, is coming lucas is coming guys. my my three podcast fans are now one two punch fans there we go welcome. love to hear that yeah lucas is coming there are a few others who i want to get on who i don't want to say their names yet but sean ross sap will be back later this week if you guys are coming from the fightful pro wrestling side denise salcedo superstar denise will be heading over here sometime in the next several weeks too I think you better get the bad boy on pretty soon. I no, there's no one I no, there's no one is gonna tank the show worse than Alexander Kaylee. That is that is just absurd. That is that is false, objectively false. I do have yeah no I I you know what I will give Alex Kaylee credit. He he gave me my MMA fighting debut on the UFC Vancouver post show, so it's only right that I give him the upgrade of coming on to one, two, punch. How can you let someone do something so nice for you, Shaq, and then just shun him, say, nope, you will ruin my show? Well, the choices were me and Oscar Willis of the Mac Life, so I feel like <laughs> Alex Kaylee's hands were tied on that one. Fair enough. Shout out to Oscar. Uh, if you guys don't know Oscar Willis, please go follow him on Twitter. He doesn't get enough attention, but he runs the Mac Life YouTube. He's the guy at all the press conferences. One of the best in the industry. Always gets good scoops. 
always puts out hilarious videos. If you haven't seen Jorge Masvidal going through, uh, and I'm just going on a rant here. If you haven't seen Jorge Masvidal go through Oscar Willis's Tinder and swipe for him, best thing you'll see in the MMA sphere ever. Guys, we're running over time here. Uh, I'm sure half of you have already tuned out. Thank you to everyone who stayed. Thank you guys so much for engaging with us. Nick, big thank you to you. You can check his work out at The Score, MMA News Editor over there. Had a great piece with Josh Johnsey. Uh, look out for us to rip that off for Fightful soon because he got some good good news about Josh Johnsey over there. Um, please hit subscribe, tap notification bell. Love it when you guys do. Uh, to all our audio listeners, thank you guys so much. Always blown away by the numbers over there. Uh, Nick, anything you want to take us out on? No, not really. Just thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Uh, as you mentioned, you can find all of my work over at The Score. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Nick Baldwin MMA, and that's really about it. Right. Uh, I guess I'll say the shitty outro. You guys ready for this? I know you love it. For Fightful MMA, I'm Shaquille Madjuri, and stay tuned for everything Fightful and so delightful. Peace out, everyone. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.